Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, all you budding adventurers. My name's James and welcome back to another episode of the 9to5ADV podcast, where we talk affordable and accessible adventure bike riding. With me this week is not Ross, but my guest co-host, uh, Louise. Hello. Hey, how are you? Not too bad, not too bad. Excellent. So you're back a little bit early. Back a little bit early, unfortunately, yeah. So the uh, the tech challenge we had uh, for the 10 days trying to get the uh, the trip in, um, well, actually, we were aim- aiming for as, as few days as possible, but I think I think uh, Michael's on the way for sort of 10, 11 days, I think. Um, but essentially, my unfortunately, my... Um, uh, coolant was was leaking out of my uh, bike. We couldn't find a hose that it was coming out of, so we thought it was a, a little bit more serious than uh, than just a a, a leak. So we, we uh, decided to end my trip halfway um, and oh, have, no. have the bike looked at properly. Good idea. So we'll jump into that in a second. But um, just quickly, we've got a just one bit of news this week actually for anyone in the market for a, a small capacity adventure bike. Uh, Sinis, who um, are a British company, all their bikes are designed in Britain. Um, I'm not sure whether actually manufactured, maybe China, maybe somewhere else. But they um, have had a very successful run with their Terrain 125 adventure bike. It's actually been their best-selling bike for a while. They have launched, you may or may not have seen, they've launched a Terrain 380 adventure bike. Now, uh, as of earlier this week, that has gone live for pre-orders. You can pre-order for £100 and it's due out in uh, autumn, I think. Um, it's just under four and a half grand plus on the road, which is a stonking price for for any adventure bike, really. With that, you get all the engine bars. It's pretty much adventure ready. It's got a colour screen, which, you know, proper sort of, I don't think it's TFT, um, but a proper colour screen. It's got Bluetooth which connects to your phone, it's pretty well spec'd out compared to the BMW GS 310, which is probably the closest comparison that um, I could draw, which is coming in at um, five th- over 5.3 for one of those brand new. It's actually got three more horsepower uh, at a lower rev, uh, rev range than the BMW. It's got a little bit more torque, 
no, quite a bit more torque actually. So I've got my numbers mixed up. It's got about seven Newton meters more torque again, uh, lower down in the rev range, but it's quite heavy. It's 200 kilos. Now they haven't said whether that's wet or dry. The BMW 310 states just under 170 wet, but I know through some videos with Farmer Talk that BMW aren't quite, let's say, accurate when it comes to comes to their weights. So quite heavy. Could be quite a fun project. If I had five grand spare, it'd be quite fun to pick one up and see how light and fun you could get it. Uh, what do you think, Louise? Any any interest for you? Yeah, sounds good. I, I mean, the little bit of extra weight does make a big difference, even if it's just sort of 10 kilograms, and obviously 30 is quite a lot. Um, but yeah, if you've got a bit more power as well, then yeah, it might, might balance out. Um, yeah, definitely an interesting bike. Ideal. And obviously A2 as well, because it's a lower capacity. So, you know, someone getting, getting into it uh, as a commuter slash mini touring bike could be pretty good. But I won't dwell on it because I don't know anything else about it. So we'll move right on. So jump. we're going to jump right over to your TET debrief. So for those of you that don't know, Louise and Michael, the pair of adventure riders, they decided to set out on a charity trip to ride the UK TET, which is actually just England and Wales, in as few days as possible, pulling 11-hour days, absolutely exhausting, grueling marathon of a trip. Unfortunately, Louise had a few issues, uh, as you heard at the beginning, which I'm sure she's going to elaborate on now, and had to come home early. So hence why she's she's on debriefing with us now, and Ross is having a week off. I suppose we start where it ended. So what, what happened? Yeah, so... There were, there were quite a few sort of niggly issues right from the beginning. So I literally left the house uh, and went to a refuel um, just to fill up the tank to the full. Um, and because we added a few things to my bike, so we added a uh, twin air fuel filter, which essentially is a pre-fuel filter. Um, so what it does is it's a mesh that goes into where you put the fuel into. And it's just to stop any kind of debris or mud or anything going into your um, fuel tank. Put that in yeah. and what, what happens is it actually slows the rate of, of fuel going into your engine really quite dramatically. Um, so what happened was I, I put the cap back on while it, it, the bubbles were still coming up, but I hadn't realised at the time. Um, so I think, well, essentially what happened was there was a, a imbalance of kind of pressure or, or something along the lines of that within the, the fuel um, canister and, and essentially my bike was stalling um, and losing power in sort of mid-rev range um, when I was sort of second, third gear and I was just like, oh my god, what's happening? <laughs> I can't believe my bike <laughs> is dying on the way, literally on the way to uh, starting in uh, the, the kind of starts um, place in Leatherhead. Um, not a great start yeah not a great start it really stressed me out and I was sort of half an hour late uh, arriving but uh, yeah I kind of pulled over I sort of wrote a message in the tech forum because it was before any garages were open so I couldn't get any advice at the time uh, but a few people had said you know have you checked your this that and the other fuel filters and all this kind of thing and the bike the bike's not very old so I, I knew kind of the, the fuel filters typically would be fine um, it hadn't gone through too many miles so there were just a few things which were the changes that we'd made recently um, that, that it could have been. Um, but yeah, fortunately, after a little bit of stalling and a bit of pulling over, I was actually heading back to my house just to have more all the tools available. Um, and when I was heading back, it, it 
stopped being a problem. So clearly the kind of pressure difference or, or the air bubbles or whatever it was uh, that was causing the problem kind of resolved itself. And from then on, when refueling, I sort of kept the fuel cap off for as long as it took to kind of pay for the fuel and then put it on. And it, it, it wasn't a problem at all for the rest of the trip, which was great. Um, so yeah, that that's that's the kind of first issue that happened. Um, but yeah, no, the the main reason I'm back home early, unfortunately, um, is because my coolant was leaking. Um, not hundred percent sure where it was coming from, but we could see it kind of dripping down um, the engine block as as when the bike was cooling down. So it wasn't while it was running. So it's clearly an expansion related seal or, or something like that. So haven't had it looked at properly yet. Uh, but I, uh, yeah, we'll get that sorted soon. But I thought um, because it's cooling the engine and quite an important part of um, the bike, I would, uh, instead of potentially damaging the bike, I'd, uh, I'd uh, call it a day, unfortunately. No, good idea. I mean, when we go out, especially with the weather the way it is at the moment, uh, it doesn't take very long riding on a trail to, for the raid, you know, for, especially on my T7, to get that, the fan coming on. It get, they get very hot very quickly. So you were both you're both riding KTM 690s. Give us a review of that bike on the Tet as a Tet bike, as an adventure bike. Yeah, no, it's a great bike. Um, I I particularly got it for the versatility. So it's got um capacity to go longer distances. So last year in September we went all the way down to Europe uh, on well he he went on 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 his bike all the way down to Europe and back. Great bike for kind of carrying things. It's got the the power and and the torque to to be able to carry a lot of luggage. So I was, I was really surprised when I got my bike kitted up for this trip that, you know, I've got, I don't know, like 20 to 30 kilograms of, of luggage and it, it really didn't feel like it did. Uh, it doesn't handle particularly differently, maybe the suspension a little bit different, but it didn't feel sluggish, unlike when I was on my uh, 250, um, back when we, we did the Europe trip. I could really feel the difference both on and off-road with, with the extra luggage on the back. But yeah, the 690, absolutely powerhouse. It had felt no no difference with the extra weight on. So I was really happy with, with the performance of the bike. Ideal. So a highly recommended machine then? Yeah. yeah. Great. And how about kit then? So obviously you guys must have taken, not loads, but you know a fair bit with you to to last a trip all the way around the UK. So how how was it? Did you take too much? Did you not take enough? I think um, although we didn't actually get to camp on the days um, the, on the, the sort of halfway journey uh, that I was involved, um, it was good to have the backup of having a tent, sleeping bag, sort of roll mat, um, inflatable roll mat, and, and things like that, um, just in case we got stuck somewhere and really had to, you know, last ditch. We can't get anywhere. Have to camp wherever we are. Obviously, we were trying to avoid that, and we d- and we did manage to do that. There was kind of a few Air- Airbnbs and Airbnbs that we managed to pick up on the way um, on on days that we weren't quite tied into where we'd scheduled to be. Um, so yeah, no. In terms of carrying, yeah, had had all the kind of sleeping bag and and mats and all that kind of stuff. Um, one of the key things that I'm really happy I took was a, a jet boil. Really efficient at um, heating up water, and you can add it to any kind of pastas or or any kind of soup. Um, sachets and things you take along with you and it's it's really quick and you just take a little canister of fuel and it um, heats your food up really quickly yeah we talked about the jet boiler last week when we were talking about motor camping because it ross was recommending it as well it's a great bit of kit for obviously that that 
uh, use of boiling water but they're, they're, they're pretty expensive they're you know 100 pound ish starting would you say it's worth the money definitely um one it, it packs all in itself so you've got a little stand in which the fuel canister um sits on that goes inside itself um you've then got the fuel canister that fits inside the the the, the coal unit itself as well and you can fit another few bits in there so i've got um like um a cloth that i help you know with cooking and wiping things down and, and whatnot um and the actual thing itself has a cup on the bottom and it's got a what's really helpful in terms of how do you know when your water's ready is it boiling yet it's got, it's got a little sensor on the side that tells you when it's boiling um so oh, it's, it's just that. a really neat bit of kit that all fits inside itself and it, it just works really well ideal i want to get one now i was going to go for something cheaper but it sounds sounds ideal so how about anything else then any standout bits of kit that you that you would highly recommend i definitely recommend the tarp with poles um so one of the one of the key things or key issues in the uk is obviously rain um so when you're stuck out in the rain for a bit too long you want to get under shelter and there might not be some nearby so we, we've got this um waterproof tarp that you have you know some strings that keep it open and some poles and and that was ideal on, on one of the days that we we needed some lunch and we needed a bit of a break from the rain so we we set that up um just on the, on the side of the the trail where there was a, a bit of extra space and that was just ideal that's a really interesting point actually because i've obviously the idea of having a tarp uh, as something to sleep under is quite an adventurous thought and i've seen them in and go outdoors and thought about getting one instead of a tent but in the uk you, you don't really want to be sleeping under a tarp um unless it's literally the nicest of nicest of summers but the idea of having it just as somewhere for a bit of shelter when you stop and it's chucking it down rain that's a really interesting thought that i've never even you know thought about before so great advice and equally with the top sort of sleeping at night you've got sort of creepy crawlies and and whatnot coming in as well so it's maybe not so so nice but um yeah no the top top is great um in terms of you know allowing us we've got a, a bit of string hanging between the two posts for it um to enable us to dry things off uh, overnight as well um when we are oh, camping. Ideal. so yeah it's 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 definitely one of my key key bits of kit that i i like to take when we go on, on sort of extended trips Mm. opposites end of the spectrum then what about the worst bit of kit that you bought either a bit that you really didn't need or a bit that actually you thought was going to be all right and actually ended up being rubbish um anything hmm. good question i can't think of anything basically we didn't use the camping stuff as i said but obviously there would have been mm. one or two nights if we did that if i managed to do the whole trip that it would have been useful i'd say actually so I did have a bit of an issue with my saddlebag. So I had the pannier, soft panniers, um, Endurostan sort of uh, Blizzard 24 litres. That they, they, they. Oh no, they my brother's. <laughs> my brother's literally just bought a set of those for his Africa twin. Who, who has? My brother. Oh right, they are they are great. Just don't fall on them. <laughs> okay. Uh, basically, I um, yeah, that you you have sort of three points of of sort of um contact or connection to keep them together so you've got uh, two straps that go over the seat two straps that go near the, the foot pegs wherever you can fit it and then mm-hmm. two two other sort of hooks that either go on a rack or, or something similar um, and essentially what th- what i'd done may- maybe i had it a bit too tight i don't know but um essentially towards the rear of one of the panniers um it the the, the material kind of ripped um because i managed to lean into the side of the trail on a, on a rather technical um step up 
and um, right. the, the dragging back of the bike obviously caught the pannier rather than the bike which is great so i haven't got damage on my bike um but yeah the the, the, the pannier did did uh, lose a bit of uh connection there but um fortunately if if you take uh, we we had some um wire which we which i basically so made a sewing um stitch back back together so actually it worked quite well even with with the kind of tear down the side because fortunately you kind of have a fabric outside which is quite um tough against um that kind of scruffing up, up against uh, any any materials uh, you've also got like a waterproof inner liner so even with okay. the tear it was still waterproof which is obviously fantastic and you, you're obviously not making bags that are bulletproof um against going against the side of the trail so um it, it, yeah, it definitely course. it was great but um that did happen so we uh, had to fix that on 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 the trip but to be honest i think in terms of everything else i took um i'm, I'm pretty happy with, with the kit list to be honest uh, I, c I can kind of post uh, or give you the list um if that's helpful or useful to anybody yeah i yeah definitely and they can check out i can check out in the show notes uh and I, well, I can check out on instagram as well or whatever um because people people are always wanting to know what everyone's using what tires have you got what luggage have you got what helmet have you got and then they'll go and buy something else anyway but yeah. <clears throat> it's always nice to know what everyone else is using it is nice yeah yeah so on to the tet itself then so i've done probably about half of the great western trail and that's about it i've i've done and ridden trails up in Wales. I've probably ridden parts of the Tet up there, but because how far did you get? So before we, so it was approximately halfway. So it was um, South Wales, um, a little bit west. So you started sort of London, London way, all the way down to Lands End in Cornwall, back up, back up the Great Western Trail. There's a bit where you wiggle around in in England, and then you hop over into Wales, and then work your way up. Yeah, so it was probably be probably around two hundred miles into wales so um yeah kind of most most of a day uh into wales uh, i think we were near neath if that uh, rings a bell for anybody but um yeah it was uh, a, a lovely location but unfortunately i think uh, we decided the best for, for, for the bikes longevity um it, we should head home there but yeah so it, i managed up up to approximately halfway distance it doesn't look like it on the map but because there's such a <laughs> a long way down to Cornwall and back. Um, it was halfway. Yeah, it's so higgledy piggledy. Yeah. So, what's been your favorite? What was your favorite bit? So I have two favorite bits. Um, Sales of plains was definitely one of my top two. Um, so you have massive open plains with sort of trails running through, where you can get up some speed and and really kind of get in, in the flow of things, and there aren't kind of ruts or bushes or anything in the in the way, and you could really sort of open it up and, and, and enjoy going through there. I really, really enjoyed that. Um, and then the other main bit, I, um, some people on sort of Facebook tech page have identified where it was. I think it's the Bradford Hollow in Yeovil. Oh yeah, everyone everyone loves that, yeah. It just feels like you're, because you go from basically a car park of an industrial estate or something similar to that, and then you go past these two sort of uh, sort of bricks that they've put in in at the beginning of the trail to I guess reduce people's speed. Um, you get inside the, this kind of massive overgrown like forest with massive huge side um, sort of I guess sandstone or something similar um, side walls. It's absolutely wonderful. It just feels like you're completely in a different location. Uh, I've really enjoyed that. That was my favourite thing about riding the Tet when we did the Great Western Trail is 
is when you're you know where you are and you go well no I'm I'm you know I'm only 10 minutes yeah. away from from Totnes or or whatever but you're in the middle of nowhere and you can't see anything and you're in a you're you're in some woods and and you could be anywhere you know I love that that feeling of being able to get that sort of sense of being in the middle of nowhere even though you're not <laughs> as it were and it really was um, that and it was so sudden as well like we were just like whoa hang on a second where are we <laughs> yeah because i i've seen it on the tech facebook page so many times and then i've i've tried to work out where it is and the uh, there was a thread that i found and someone said oh it's oh it, you know it's it's here um uh, near this this uh near this village or whatever and so i've gone onto google maps got the tech route up looked and then all you can see on on street view is this like you said that industrial estate and then it just says it says byway or unsuitable for motor vehicles or whatever it, and then and then that's it you can't see anything else and and you go is it, it can't be in there <laughs> so with regards to the tet then so people that might be listening that have never done it and maybe they've only just heard about it what advice would you give people that want to go out and ride a section or all of the of the tet uk or otherwise um i guess my my number one is um go with a, a friend or a couple of people definitely having kind of support people uh, people around whether you know you have bike issues or kit issues or whatever it may be uh, it's always nice to have somebody around um in case anything goes bad or even you know just to enjoy it it's always uh, the experience shared is, is much more fun right um so yeah definitely definitely go with other people more experienced people than you if if you can i guess the, the other thing is learn learn your bike learn what kind of things can go wrong with it um so you can be prepared so any kind of bits and bobs that you can learn how to do yourself um so you don't get stuck um obviously makes you a bit more useful on the trail if you do need help with somebody else as well um yeah yeah know your bike and and go, go with somebody else they're my two main things i think ideal what uh what do you say to the people on say the tet forum that say that the um the tet is for small um capacity bikes only and not big adventure bikes um i guess for it's kind of horses for courses right so if you're able to manage a bigger bike and you're capable to i don't see why people should restrict themselves from from being able to use these rights of way because that's what they are the rights of way we're able to use them and you know there's, there's measures in place to keep them going and as long as you're not getting stuck because you've gone into what you know is a, a very muddy very boggy place uh, or area of the tet obviously avoid those sections if you know um, your bike's heavy and you got a bigger bike you should avoid those sections but all the other sections i don't see any reason why you can't take a sort of you know um, a larger bike down excellent and what sort of skill level would you say you would need um i suppose it's difficult isn't it yes yeah, a, a difficult uh, question to kind of gauge where skill levels are um but i guess um yeah it's difficult well yeah because obviously I, I started trail riding i'm sure as i'm sure you did just on local trails and a lot of those are on on the tet and i, I suppose places like salisbury plain are a lot new bike friendly uh compared to say some of the lanes down down where i am down on the great western trail where there's some quite painfully difficult that maybe shouldn't be on the tet but um but yeah yeah no i well i I guess it's good to go with someone who knows the trails you're about to go on and knows their difficulty or or, you know ask people or or whatever uh, about the difficulty and and you know don't aim high take your time and and go into trails that are 
manageable to start with. Um, so there's definitely a section of the Great West Trail going um, along the southern part um, that had a couple of step ups and a couple of very steep inclines that I found challenging, partly because I, I had an issue with my clutch, but uh, we can go on to that in a minute if you like. Um, but yeah, essentially it's it's kind of part and parcel with going with someone that is experienced um, and letting them kind of ease you into the more challenging kind of routes. Because I know some people find kind of ruts very difficult and other people kind of have no problem with it and it's very much kind of balance and trying to stop your bike from climbing up the wall of the rut um, and kind of declines that's my, my downfall um, for going down hills sort of loose loose big boulders and things I find that very challenging but on the opposing side of that going uphill I find quite easy whereas some people find that a little bit difficult to get the clutch control or, or whatnot so um, it's very person specific but um, definitely knowing knowing what you're in for um, is helpful in terms of, of, of learning. Ideal. I was going to move on, but you've teased us with your clutch problems, so why didn't you tell us what happened with your clutch? Yes, so um, I'd installed a Oberon clutch slave, uh, and essentially it's a, no, it's a known issue with the 690 of 2019 um, batch um, that the um, clutch slave um, can fail. There's basically a, a piston or something in, in there that can sort of go, uh, and then you don't have a clutch, so you can't ride your bike. So we installed it over on Clutch Slave um, and we did it the first time and there was a bit of a leak of engine oil so took it off and installed it again um, and it was working fine for a, a, you know, a couple of weeks before the trip um, and it was, it was working fine for the first, I think it was day or two um, and then on the third day essentially we had our, our big hills and our big step ups and things uh, where it, I guess the engine was getting a bit hotter and a bit more pressure going on in there um, and essentially the seal of the Oberon clearly we hadn't 100% put it on um, and essentially what was happening is the dot 4 fluid which allows the clutch to work with the, the lever um, was leaking and out of, the, out of that um, slave cylinder and by the time we got back onto the road it had basically gone down to nothing and I had basically a few few millimetres away from my handle uh, hand, like basically the, the lever could only go a few mil to disengage the clutch um, so it was it was very much on the edge of not working but fortunately we managed to find a garage uh, get some dot four and and fill that up again and, and re reseal the the uh, cylinder and everything but yeah, drama. That, that, that was, yeah drama absolutely and that was kind of about <laughs> a two-hour job because we couldn't get it to work to it to start with and it was kind of two hours out of our, our sort of day which was um stressful <laughs> yeah i can imagine cool talk about plagued with problems from the start and all, and all the way through but yeah well good effort it's unfortunate that you you, you had to pull out but um like I said, Michael carried on. I, I, like you said, he's almost. I think he's almost finished. And it wasn't just for fun, was it? You've you've done this for for a cause, not just to get into the the Tet World Records book. So why don't you just tell folks quickly about what you were or what you are raising money for? Yeah, so it's a, a number of uh, air ambulances and search and rescue uh, groups. So obviously they're the, they're the people if things do go completely wrong uh, on, on the trail and you, you need sort of emergency assistance for any reason they're the kind of people that are there as volunteers um, throughout the year um, for all around the country so we thought it would be good to kind of give back to that, that kind of voluntary service um, so yeah that, that's what we're raising money for 
ideal so um i've just logged on now you're currently just shy of 700 pounds raised which is which is fantastic it would be if any of you anyone listening feels like they want to contribute um like louise said this is a cause that benefits well everyone but um in particular us riders especially trail riders who might get stuck in a spot spot bother at some point in the future you know most people think it will never happen to them but it may may well do and that's just being selfish you know um it, it does happen every day to a lot of people so if you want to you know chuck in a fiver or whatever then you can uh, search on Virgin Money Giving. It's called the 28 County Challenge. If you just search for that, I'm going to put a link in the episode description as well. So if you feel supportive, then feel free to chuck in a buck. Um, so while I've got you on, I want to talk very briefly about a subject that well, I might not actually get to do in the future, depending on um, who we might get on. Uh, which is about um, women in adventure riding. You're the perfect person to ask about this because you fall into that category perfectly. But I was looking at my analytics today, just on the website and podcasts and Instagram and everything. And I get very broad statistics through Acast, which hosts the podcast. And then you get subsequent analytics through other hosts that then pull your RSS feed. So Spotify is the only one that really does decent analytics. So currently... All of our subscribers are male for this podcast. Uh, Looking at our mailing list for the website, it's a bit more difficult because I have to guess uh, from people's email addresses, but it it looked like it was pretty much mostly men. And on my Instagram followers, 89% are male. I'm sure if I was more attractive, then it would probably have a higher ratio of females. (laughs) But in terms of biking and particular adventure bike riding, is completely fair to say uh, i think that it is a very male dominated uh, niche and hobby would you agree completely agree i think um out of the year and a bit that i've been off-roading i've probably seen about two or three females and you know definitely 50 odd males uh, riding the other way or riding along with us or whatever um yeah, no, definitely male-dominated um, sport or, or hobby. Um, I guess motorbiking in general, not just off-road, is probably a male-dominated sport as well. Um, and I guess the, the the niche of off-roading or adventure riding is, you know, a, a smaller group of those in which you know females also are a small proportion of. Yeah. Now, how does it feel being a a woman in this in this industry obviously you uh you i imagine go to your bike dealership quite a lot you read bike publications you obviously absorb marketing from manufacturers all of which pretty much point towards men riding bikes uh these off-road bikes in a hardcore way and, and not you riding them in a hardcore way i mean how has has that been like has that been quite intimidating or has it been has it not bothered you i mean as it does it sort of sway your opinion in trying in getting involved in, in adventure riding um i think in terms of like skill level there's definitely quite a lot of men that are very very skilled and and you know have a lot of ability in off-road and i think because of the the issue of, of how many women are in in this kind of field it it basically i don't think there are the women with that level of skill out there 
uh, and that's potentially why there, we don't see it very much on the adverts and things like that. And in a way, it kind of encourages me to do it more because I am willing and hopefully able to, to do more challenging rides and more technical uh, terrain. So very much, you know, I'm happy to be doing that and, and showing that, you know, women can do it as well. Yeah, ideal. So for any, not that they're going to be listening uh, yet, we don't know. Do you have any advice for any aspiring or new female adventure riders? I guess don't give up. So I've been actually speaking to a girl who um, we started speaking on on a women's motorcycle group on Facebook. Um, started speaking to this girl who's wanting to go off road. She hasn't. She's been riding quite a lot on the road, sort of commuting, done thousands of miles e- each year, um, and so is quite capable on the bike. And she's just bought herself, um, I think, a four hundred. Uh, forget which bike exactly, but it's, it's quite quite a handful um, off road bike. Um, and she was saying like, oh, is anyone you know around me that we, we can go riding together? And yeah, basically the advice I'd give is is don't give up, even if you are surrounded by guys that are you know hugely more experienced than you and way better than you think you may be. Um, just keep keep going at it. You know, I, I've had my tears and and disappointment and frustrations of of not getting it straight away, but that, that's all part of learning. And yeah, just keep going at it. If if you want to be doing it, just just go out and do it and and you know have have supportive people around you no that's that's great advice have you got any female role models i was just i was just doing a quick google of some uh, books that i've read um and it most of the, funny enough the most of the adventure bike books that i've read are actually by women so um i've got steph javons uh, i think that's how you pronounce her name she's she's a journalist she was the first Brit to circumnavigate the globe and ride her bike on all seven continents, which is quite cool. There's Antonia Bolingbrook Kent. She's a she's a travel writer. She wrote a great book called Land of the Dawnlit Mountains, which was about her riding um, through northern India, which was fantastic. Um, there's Leah Rick, who I follow on Instagram. She's on a T7 at the moment, but she was on a Tiger. She's been all around the world. Um, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here because you've probably got some of them. You can't. You do. You don't know the names, and I didn't. I didn't prep you for this question. So no, because because I, I I came actually from a bit of a sort of mountain biking um, background. Um, there is one female, Rachel Atherton, that I was kind of following, and her kind of scenario where she's got two brothers that are very high up in sort of downhill racing. Um, she obviously trains with them and they, they've got a bunch of land in, in Wales by or, uh, by the sounds of it that they, they train on a lot and I think seeing her kind of excel way beyond all the typically way beyond the, the sort of female class um, standards it kind of I guess that inspired me to equally try and you know train with with guys that are more experienced than me and faster and, and try and you know stay up there with, with that kind of speed and, and ability and trying to aim, aim for is you know to improve my my skill sounds good right i think that'll wrap it up unless you've got anything else you want to add to to that or to um to your tech trip yeah, it sounds good yeah I, yeah it's just a shame i, I couldn't continue and uh, finish it but uh really enjoyed enjoyed the the half of it that i i did manage to do do you reckon you'll go out go back and finish the second half I might have to. I might have to. <laughs> it's gonna, it's gonna be in the back of your mind. It's gonna be like your that one thing you have to finish. To be honest, I, I don't want to do just half. I'd have to do it all again. I think. <laughs> At the same pace, or would you slow it down? No, I, I think I'd aim for the same pace. Nice, ideal. 
So moving on then, what's uh, what have you got coming up um, in the near future, in the far future, trip-wise or, or bike-wise or, or, or anything really that's relevant to our listeners? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, lo- lots of ideas uh, in terms of getting involved with sort of competitions and challenges that are coming up. I actually haven't got a list of them here, but um, there are a few uh, TRF um, sort of uh, ride outs that I want to get involved with. So I signed up to the TRF group um, a while back and haven't, obviously with COVID, weren't able to go on ride outs with them yet, but I'd, I'd keen to see what, see what it's like to be in a group and sort of have, have varying um, levels of ability. That would be interesting because I haven't really ridden with many other people um, thus far off-road so uh, that'll be interesting to try out and then potentially aiming for some sort of um sort of riding competitions and see how that goes oh ideal um so you live in london don't you so where do you where do you go for all these sort of events and, and activities and such so the trf is south london and surrey so it'll be down in surrey probably leatherhead area uh, and further mm-hmm. south um that that's pretty much the closest i can get to to kind of proper sort of byways and and off-roading um, so yeah, d- down to Leatherhead, it takes about forty-five minutes. Um, get down there and and see what the trails where the trails take me. Pretty much sounds good. I've got next weekend actually. I'm me and my brother are doing are finally doing a tech trip. Uh, not nothing like what you've done, but um, so my brother lives up near Salisbury Plain. As as um, you will know if you've listened to past episodes, he's been quite new to this. He's got an Africa twin. He's just spent. Uh, a fortune on got new tires new helmet new jacket just bought some Adjuristan luggage uh, which would be quite interesting because I've got Krieger luggage so we're gonna sort of compare and contrast because they're pretty similar in price as well so that'll be quite fun but I'm gonna be riding up and meeting him and then so that'll be on Friday night next Friday night and then two days for us to basically take the Tet from Salisbury back down here to um, to Newton Abbott and then Tom will ride home. And then probably not the weekend after, but the weekend after that, we will do it the opposite around. So take the, the north section of the tr- of the Tet, so going back up to towards that direction. Uh, so Tom will come down on the Friday and then we'll spend a couple of days going back up to there. So, that, so that's going to be pretty fun. Uh, any advice for those sections? Uh, trying to recall exactly what that was. I, I could think that might have included the inclines that I was talking about. Okay. Potentially. I don't know, I kind of I lost think... track of what's where, because I wasn't doing much of the navigation. Um, I yeah. was just kind of following Michael. Um, but it, it definitely, there were sections that were a little bit overgrown, um, but I think that was further west from where you're you're going. Largely sort of just ruts, so try and, try and stay in the ruts as much as you can. Yeah, and I know that um, that, what, what was that lane called again with the sandstone walls in it? So uh, Bradford Hollow. Bradford Hollow, yeah, I know, I know that that's uh, is that on the way down or the way back up? I'm not sure. You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. Don't worry. There was must have been so much to absorb. You probably don't remember half of yeah, it. Yeah, it's all kind of merged <laughs> into one, pretty much. Yeah, um, yeah I know the vague, vague sections of it, but it all, all kind of merges. <laughs> and then, um, so 27th of September, and this is uh, this is a while off, but. Um, I'm mentioning it because the first one, which is um, Rally Moto, uh, are you familiar with Rally Moto, Louise? Yeah, I'm sure I actually, you are. yeah, I sort of signed up to them and and um, had a notification about their event coming up. Yeah, so they're doing this tour of Wales, which is a 12-hour trek 
so from the north of Wales to the south of Wales, you start at 9.30, you've got 12 hours to complete this um, this route that's a combination of on and off road. It's road book as well, so you've got road book navigation, so a lot of fun. It's limited to 50 places. The first one, which is all booked up, is on the 2nd of August. You can currently enter for the 16th of August, and me and my brother will be entering for the 27th of September one, which will be great fun. So we're looking forward to that. We're going to go up and take a few days off work and actually do a bit of Welsh Tet as well while we're there, make the most of it. And, um, and yeah, so I'm really looking forward to that one. So that'll be fun. But yeah, I think that will that will do it for this week. Thank you ever so much, Louise, for standing in and being my co-host this week. <laughs> um, I'm sure I'll get feedback asking for you to replace Ross on a more permanent basis. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we, we shall see. Ross has got the knowledge, but he's a bit dull to listen to sometimes. But don't tell him I said that. It's okay because he, he doesn't <laughs> listen to these, so so you, I can say what I want. Um, but yeah, so so that'll do it. If you uh, if you want to get in touch with the podcast or with us at all, you can email us so nine to five adv at gmail dot com. If you want to follow me or get in touch with me, I'm on Instagram at nine to five adv, and I'm on Instagram uh, lou dot rides. If you want to donate like I said, to their charity cause for the air ambulances. That link will be in the episode description. And also you could just Google on Virgin Money Giving 28 County Challenge. If you type that in, you can come up with it there. No idea what's going to be next week. Uh, if I get a chance, then I will try and speak to Michael um, and see how he got on with the rest of the trip. Uh, if not, uh, you're going to have Ross back and we will probably chat about something else we'll leave it there uh thanks for listening guys keep adventuring and speak to you soon bye, bye. botox cosmetic out botulinum toxin a fda approved for over 20 years so talk to your specialist to see if botox cosmetic is right for you for full prescribing information including boxed warning visit botoxcosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.